0: It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado, with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. Uh, so we're going through the Muscular Christian uh, series uh, over this uh, semester, and uh, this particular episode is called Tireless. And it's funny because a lot of you are feeling anything but tireless uh, right now. Uh, it's weird how there is a certain amount of labor that, that takes place in the soul when you focus this intensely uh, on Christ. And there's, there's a part of you that actually uh, desires to have a reprieve. And then if you ever ponder, it's like, what do I want to reprieve from? Uh, is it from Christ? It's the intensity of focus and the intensity of uh, the Holy Spirit searching, trying, and knowing you, which at first, you know, the instinct that you have in the human side is to jump away from that spotlight just for a little, you know, just have one night of revelry, and then you can maybe come back. But that's an instinct that you need to touch in your soul with truth and recognize that God desires there to be a constancy for the rest of your life. And I remember trying to swallow this when I was, uh, oh, I guess I don't have an exact age, but I remember it in my spiritual development. Being, it's, it's the process of, wait a minute, God, so if that's true, that means I never get my little, that, that me time. That time where I can just sort of splurge on the flesh and just sort of, you know, uh, and then I can come back, right? But that whatever we call it, downtime, me time, it's this one thing that we crave. And it's interesting because there's a counterfeit version of it and then there's a very real version of rest. And where God makes us lie down in green pastures, he restores our soul, but it's God that does that. And our job is to give ourselves completely to him without requirement of reprieve. And there's a tension that takes place inside of us when we do that. When you say, okay, God, here I am, here's my body, whatever you desire to do in it, you can do. No matter what that means. And no matter if that means I have to stay up every night praying. It's like the natural man is gonna say, but I can't do that. And the key for all of us is to say, God knows what you can handle. Your job is to give your life to him. So this idea of tireless, it's a... It's a concept that I've cultivated in my life for for years, and it's been very, very significant, but there's always a tension in it. Even as I bring it up, there's a tension uh, in me. Uh, It starts with uh, Garden of Gethsemane, where you see the disciples right before that at the Last Supper, and what are they saying? uh they're saying we will stand for you we will not deny you you know because peter himself says hey i will not deny you and then jesus says look i hate to break this to you but you'll deny me three times before the cock crows and peter has no grid for this and it says that they all agreed when paul when peter said it it's like they all agreed you know there's every single one of them is in on the saying we will not deny you we will not turn from you we will not flee and yet every single one of them does And so what you see is this human desire, this human determination to declare to God, here's how I'm going to live for you. And Jesus has to turn back to us and say, you can't do that. You will fail. Which is a really dark moment uh, in the story. I mean, what what a downturn. It's a bummer in the story. But that's because what God is leading his disciples through is an understanding of their human frailty that their own decision and resolve to live a certain way for Jesus is actually insufficient. They need the power of the Holy Spirit. You see these same men that flee from Christ all die martyrs' deaths. What's the difference? In very simple terms, we could say Pentecost. That's the difference. Something changes in these men, and it is not just their resolve. They were resolved, they were resolute, they were all in for the Messiah, and yet they all failed. And so when I look at the Garden of Gethsemane, I feel it. I feel it in my own soul. You have Peter, James, and John that are asked to come and watch with him. And what do they do? They fall asleep. Excuse me. Uh, You know, aren't these the same guys that were bragging about the fact that, and these are strong fishermen. These are guys that are used to being up in the night. And what, what is this? It's a spiritual issue. It's not a physical issue. When you stand for spiritual things, you realize you're against spiritual forces. Your battle is not against flesh and blood. And you can look at that in two ways. It's not just you trying to beat your body. It is the fact that there are spiritual powers that are weighing you down. One of the number one things you'll notice that men, fathers, husbands will deal with is that when they come home from a long day of work, they are so tired that they don't have the ability to focus on what their wife is saying. Their kids come up to them with little drawings and they're just like, oh, I can't even hardly think straight. And in their mind, what they're saying is, I've been working hard all day. And here's the interesting thing. When that man is at work and his boss is sitting across from him, do you know that he's wide awake? He's not like, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, It's like when he's in a board meeting, he's not falling asleep. What is it about when he goes home that he falls to pieces? And he doesn't notice that this is a spiritual thing. That the devil, when that man walks into the most crucial spiritual dimension of his life, he suddenly is being played like a fiddle. So when Peter, James, and John walk into that situation, they cannot stay awake. And I don't know if you've ever had that feeling, you know, where you're like, God, I'm going to pray. And then you rise up in prayer and you've never felt so tired in your life. You decide to do something noble for Jesus and it's like, wow, why is there so much resistance? There's a spiritual dimension that we are facing and we need to recognize that. So as I sort of embark upon this idea of tireless, I think it's important for you to recognize who you are in the story. You're not Jesus. You're like the Peter, James, and John. You're the ones that are resolved to do something noble for Jesus, but wow, your eyelids feel like they have weights hanging off of them you ever had it where you're driving down the road and uh you're so you're in the shotgun position and you're on a trip and it's four in the morning and you're supposed to be keeping the driver awake i remember when uh, i was up in the front with my dad and we were in our banana yellow vw bus going across the country to idaho and we we're in the middle of the night and my dad always had his peanuts uh so he'd dig into his peanuts and And he'd be chewing. And so my job was to keep him awake. I was the most pathetic keeper-awaker you've ever seen in this world. I mean, I could not keep my eyes open. The moment I got the task, because it sounded so fun. I get to go into the front seat while everyone else is asleep, and I get to stay up with my dad. I mean, this is going to be amazing. But there was something about that job description that I could I could not keep my eyes open. And the whole while, I'm like, ah. I'm like trying to pop some peanuts in like my dad does. And, and uh, he's like, how are you doing over there? I'm like, I'm, I'm, uh, I could not stay awake. I have a little drool coming down. My... <laughs> no matter how hard I tried, I was out like a light. And for many of us, that's the way we have felt spiritually. There is something we need. When we face that weakness, we need to recognize that God wants to meet us right there. When we will simply acknowledge, God, I can't do this, but I know you can. I have a job to do, and it's a spiritual job. When a man comes home from work, there is a spiritual job in front of him, and that's to be present. And yet, for a man, and if some of you are not married, you've never had these moments where you come home from work with your briefcase, set it down, and you feel it hits you but if you understand the spiritual battle when you go into gethsemane and jesus is saying i need you now your wife needs you now your children need you now you're like but i can't keep my eyes open do you want to do this right if you try and dig in your own pockets to get this done you're going to fail and so at first it seems almost ridiculous is eric actually talking about just coming home from work and it's the spiritual job description that you have entered into If you don't recognize that there's spiritual resistance to it, you're going to be caught flat-footed. In other words, you don't understand that you can't do this. It doesn't sound that hard on paper. It's like, okay, work for the day and then come home and be present for your wife and kids. In fact, when you're not married, it sounds very romantic. It's like, oh, I'd love to do that. Until you recognize that this is the center of the battle. And whenever you hit the center of the battle, you find tiredness. You find sluggishness. You find fog. You see, the rest, the rest of the world out there has normal challenge. It's just life challenge. The Christian has normal challenge, plus they have spiritual challenge at a very, very heightened level. So, therefore, you need to know how to fight this battle. Sleep is oftentimes one of the number one points of exposure of this whatever we're talking about, this weakness, this human weakness that when confronted with spiritual powers grows tired. And so I, I've had various seasons in my life and it's, uh, it's called the 430 test. I don't know if you guys have ever heard me talk about the 430 test. But uh, there's, it's sort of hard to describe because every one of us has a different body system. Our sleep patterns are a bit different and they're very unique. And so it, what I'm going to say to you, by the way, is not a prescription for you. At all, And I, I want you to take a deep breath and go, oh, thank you uh, for not making this a prescription uh, for me. In other words, this is deeply spiritual between me and my God because my God knows what I'm struggling with, right? And this has happened multiple times. I'd say three different times in my spiritual life where he has inaugurated the 430 test, okay? And I'm sort of scared by the fact that I'm bringing it up that it's going to be another season of 430 test. But uh, actually, it's been some of the greatest seasons of my life. Ellerslie came out of a 430 am test okay and that th- that's this that i recognize that my body is attempting to bully me around and so as a result i submit to god and i say god i need wisdom because when i'm supposed to be sharp i'm very tired what's going on here and so if i could say it clearly i feel like god has given me the 4:30 a.m test At 4.30 in the morning, my body does not function as it ought to function. My brain does not function as it ought to function. Emotionally, I'm sort of blurred. Psychologically, I'm clouded. Physically, I'm tired. It's like right in some low point in my sleep cycles, you know, where it's just like, you ever had it where your head sinks into a pillow because you're so tired and you feel like someone's sucking it out your brain? Yeah, that's about 4.30 a.m. for me. What's weird is that even 4.50 or 5 o'clock, my body's fine. But 4.30, there's something challenging physically for me. So when I bring up 4.30, we're talking about my Gethsemane here. We're talking about the one time during the night when, for whatever reason, it's harder for Eric Ludi than it even is at 4.50 in the morning. Okay, And some of you are like, 4.50, that's so early. Well, for my body, I'm still fine, though at 4.50, but 4.30, and so here, here's, the, here's how it played out for me. Here's the rules in my 4.30 test. If I wake up and it is 4.29 or earlier, in other words, if my clock, this is when I had a digital clock uh, sitting by my bed, uh, if it says 4.29 or earlier, I have full freedom to go back to sleep. But if it is 4.30 or later, I get up. So it could be six o'clock, and I've sleep all the way through, never even you know awaken, and I look at it, it's like six. Oh, I've, I get up. But if it is four thirty, I get up. And so at, at first you're like, oh, that doesn't that sounds harmless because I, I'm sure I could sleep till six and never. Well, wait till you try the four thirty a.m. test. This is an issue with me and God, where God's saying, when I call on you, will you be ready? Y- yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. But you know, maybe we could aim a little later than 430. So the 430 became very significant. And for a whole season of my life, I would literally, I remember I would, if I ever was awake, okay, this is the rules again, this is the unspoken rules between me and God. You know how you can be awake, but you don't want to act like you're awake. And so you're just sort of, you said, your eyes are still closed. It's like, okay, I'm awake. All right. I have to look at the clock. I literally saw it, 429 to 430. (laughs) Clicks. Great. All right, all right. We're going to get up. We're going to do this thing. Okay, so I get up, and I'm even sort of chuckling to God. It's like, God, that's not fair, okay? (laughs) There's something about this. And the next morning, same thing, turnover, like 431. It's like, "Hmm." okay, all right, I'm getting up. And, I mean, my body is sluggish at that time. It's really strange. I mean, I I know my body well, and I'm just like an early morning guy. I work well in the morning, but not at 4.30. Okay, just give me a few more minutes, and my body can sort of come out of its, you know, haze. But this is like something altogether different. For months, I would turn over. It would be between 4.30 and 4.35. I mean, it was never 4.28, and I could just go back to sleep and sleep till 6.00. That never seemed to happen. It was always in this little gap, and God's just sort of smiling. And now my body begins to be trained towards that. But what's weird is, though my body keeps waking up regularly at this time, emotionally, spiritually, and physically, I was still in that haze. And so I would get up and pray. And when I was praying, I did not feel spiritual in my praying. You know there's a spiritual feeling? Have you ever had a spiritual feeling? You're like, I just feel spiritual right now. (laughs) I never felt spiritual at 4.30 in the morning. In fact, I felt dull, dim. And when I would pray, my prayers were like, <laughs> like I couldn't, I couldn't articulate even internally. It was like my brain wasn't together. Okay, so all that said, when, I, when God has taken me through these seasons, and if you ask me, how do you get out of one of these seasons? I don't know how it works. It's like a trip, family trip or something. Something resets it, and God just sort of, says, yeah, we're moving on. And so, but I have like three of these 4.30 a.m. seasons in my life. Like I said, Ellerslie came out of one. And here's what I can say. Some of the most profound spiritual things have come out of my life when I have gone through the 4.30 a.m. test. Because what there is is a denial of everything physical on my side. And it's an acceptance. If he wants to wake me up, that's his business. If he wants me to sleep, I trust him. God can put you in a deep sleep and have you wake up at 10 a.m. if he wants that's his business. Of course, I, I've never had him do that for me. What is, but the point being that I'm getting up and I'm saying, God, here I am. God, here I am. The next morning, God, here I am. Even though it's coming out, more like, God, here I am. <laughs> and yet the sharpness of spiritual life that was coming out of that was extraordinary. Even though I felt dull, Because my body was what was feeling dull, but my spirit man was sharpening in and through this. There's something about tiredness that is a proving ground of all that we are. I don't know how how to say it. It's sort of like our sexuality is another one of those theaters of proving. And how we handle these things has the utmost importance and value in showcasing the kingdom of heaven. But sleep, I mean, come on. God gives his beloved rest. He does and he does care about sleep, he's not against sleep. Sleep is not a sin. It's that sleep should not control you any more than food and drink is not a sin. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So if you're eating and drinking, do it to the glory of God. There's nothing wrong with eating and drinking. However, eating and drinking should not control you. And so these different passions and these different appetites that we have need to be brought into subjection. And so for the muscular Christian, there is a need for this process to be engaged in when i've had seasons in my life where i know that the my my sleep and my capacity for sleep is actually pushing me around and i've had seasons in my life where literally i know god could awaken me in the middle of the night and i would say yes to getting up and praying and then there's other seasons where it's like i'm scared he's going to do that and i don't like that i don't like that i could go (laughs) up and down like that where i'm sharp and then i'm not the same thing is true with being in physical shape there's seasons, you ever had it where you get like a cold, you pull a muscle or something, and it throws you out of your workout routine, and then you just don't have the sharpness. That's a, very similar to what it's like spiritually. Spiritually, there is a need for a constancy of attentiveness to it to maintain a sharpness. How are we doing in our message here? Uh, Joseph was saying, only 11 slides? Well, that's because I have such a long intro. I can, uh, I can only have 11 slides. Built for anything and everything. As a Christian... We are designed to handle whatever comes our way, which is why we need to, in the small moments, learn to discipline our body. As far as the sharpness needed to control the body, every thought needs to be monitored, every emotion needs to be governed, every word that's about to come out of your mouth, it needs to be clipped and measured before it goes flying. In other words, the muscular Christian is one that is very attentive to the small movements of his life when you are built strong you actually as a christian can go through any circumstance and handle it god's way so we have an amazing picture in the bible of paul the apostle you know jesus we could say well of course he did it right he was god and yet what do you do with paul because he did it right well what paul exhibits is what god will do in a man and so basically as paul says what you've seen and heard in me do in other words paul's saying hey what i have is not different than what you have what i have access to says paul is what you have access to so just look at this second corinthians 11 five times i received from the jews 39 lashes if even one of us in here received 39 lashes once it would be the story of the century amongst all ellerslie students it is such an extreme thing. The reason they stop is because to the Jew, you're not allowed to give more than 40 stripes. So they stop at 39, lest they violate the law. But this, mean, this is to preserve them from dying. In other words, it is so extreme when you open up the back and all the blood is gushing out, it is literally such trauma to the human body. So Paul had this done five times, which means his back was literally a mass of flesh, and then it heals over, and then it's opened up again. And then it heals over. Okay, you follow me? This guy wouldn't have looked very good on the beach in swim trunks. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Oh, just once, Paul? When you're stoned, you're killed. Your head is crushed. It's like, what? So, but once he was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Three times he was shipwrecked, guys. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys. Hark! Uh, I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. I don't know how you're doing as you're going through that list and just sort of measuring yourself to see if, because I mean, most of us just get tired just reading one line of the list. Oh, God, I I can't handle that. I'm glad Paul had to carry that, but I don't need to. You see, what we see in the life of Paul is an illustration of what God desires to grow us up to carry to carry difficulty well, to carry pain well, to carry loss, to carry lack well. You see, this is the Christian life that we have been called to. We have been called to suffer well. But the way that you train to suffer well is by taking the small movements and mechanical movements of your life and beginning to bring them into subjection to the will of Christ Jesus. And so things like your appetite, that's, I mean, it's, it's hard when, when you live in a North American environment, you have access to whatever food you want. And I think I I told you guys that my uh, daily dinner menu uh, when I was in college was seven plates of food from the cafeteria. And then I'd go and get five cheeseburgers from Zip's hamburger stand. It was five cheese, cheeseburgers for five bucks. It was a good deal. And, and then I'd still be hungry. Okay, now, when you have that type of an appetite issue going on, and then, do you guys remember my story of going to missionary school? Did I tell you guys that? Did I tell you about the croissant? Uh, Okay. So, when you transition from that type of eating into an environment where you have less, how do you do? You oftentimes really struggle. You see, if you're not used to being disciplined and measured in your appetites then when you are removed from a situation of being satisfied 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 you oftentimes flounder fail and fall which is why there needs to be a sharpness to our soul in all of these arenas of the physical body so that we are ready for whatever God calls us to do Akeikio so uh this is typically as i would translate it as spiritual flap okay so if we're going to look at the spiritual man as being a it's not the physical body it's a spiritual body but it, it has all the attributes of a physical body but it sort of overlays or underlays however you want to look at it our physical body so there's spiritual eyes there's spiritual nose spiritual mouth spiritual ears spiritual mind uh spiritual neck if you want to say it that way spiritual heart Spiritual hands, spiritual feet. And so, if you want to say it this way, a spiritual belly. And you're supposed to have a core that is strong in your spiritual man. And yet, when we get sloppy, when we get slovenly, when we get soft in our spiritual life, it's like we gain weight. And our spiritual man doesn't move very well and gets tired easily. He's not sharp. When you are unhealthy, when your sleeping patterns are off, did you know that the more you sleep, the more tired you oftentimes are in the day? It's a weird statement. There's a certain point, if you undersleep, of course, that can lead to tiredness in the day. But also, if you oversleep, it leads to tiredness. There is a certain point where the, it's actually healthy. Okay, that's a healthy point to rise. And when you are disciplined in your sleep habits, you actually have more energy during the day. Well, the spiritual man, if there is no discipline, if he's slovenly, if he's... If he's craving too much and feeding the wrong things in, then what he becomes is flabby. Okay, that he has a jiggle with the belly. Blub, 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 And what we don't want is the blub, 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 blub. Uh, we want sharp, toned. We want a six pack in our spiritual man's abdomen. So we want core strength, but to gain that, there has to be a sharpness of soul. So a kekio. Empty of the fighting spirit, exhausted, wearied, tired, and faint. You see, when you become this way, the devil comes in to tempt, and it's just like, ah, eh, yeah, just come on in. In other words, you lack the resistance. You lack the oomph. You lack the strength. It's like the man that comes home from work, flops down in the chair. He's already accepted the fact that he's tired. So he's already telling himself, you've worked hard today. Your family's just going to have to accept that because you're breadwinning for everyone. All these, everyone in your home has these luxuries because you're working hard. And so as a result, you just crash into that chair or pick up your, uh, your newspaper, or flick on the TV, and you zone out everything that matters around you. And the moment you do that, what you have is you're allowing it. It's like opening the door and the devil can just truck in stuff. And we don't oftentimes see that, that, that lack of sharpness and clarity in our spiritual life is our danger moment. So this concept of a actually is very replete in the New Testament. And so we'll see Paul use it often. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. We do not grow tired and weary. We do not just give up we do not just flop into the chair and flick on the TV. We've received a ministry. We've received a commission to be a chariot of the cherubim, to carry the glory of God in this generation. We don't just flop off and have a wheel that just goes, we're the wheel carrying this thing. We don't just go, oh yeah, I'm gonna take a break here. I can't just keep carrying the glory of God all day long. What does he think I am, you know, a beast of burden? I can't just do all of this. And so we collapse off to the side and immediately begin to fall into disrepair. But when it gets tough, when you get tired, what you learn to say is, God, I'm tired, but I know that you give grace for me to fulfill my calling. So therefore, I'm going to come to you right now and allow you to give me supernatural strength. So many of us are used to measuring our our fuel gauge on natural man's strength. And so when our natural man's strength starts to wane, we go, oh, oh, I'm done. Instead of recognizing that there are times when God needs you to keep going. There are times when you must keep pressing forward and you can't let go right now. So what do you do? Because your natural man's strength is gone. You tap into God's strength. I remember a prayer time. I remember learning this. Uh, I had this whole season where Leslie and I prayed through the night. I mean, through the night, literally, got no sleep. And it must have happened maybe five to seven times in this whole season. It was like a year of our life. And to be honest, I I didn't ever enjoy praying through the night. There was a certain rush involved in it because there were huge things that were going on. We had this whole team around us. And it was was a really beautiful thing God was teaching us. But I love sleep. I mean, I I really do. I I don't know about you and what your uh, affections are for sleep. But there's something about sleep. Like when you're a little kid, you don't like sleep. And then as you get older, you're like, I love sleep. I wish I had more of it. And so these times were hard but beautiful, right? But God, I remember this one time. It was late at night, and I had almost a phobia that God was going to call me to stay up again. It's like, oh, God, I, I, I think we're, I'm supposed to go to bed tonight, and I'm not really wanting to talk to you about it. Uh, and so I think I'm just going to go to bed. And Leslie at the, some, says something like, I think we really need to pray through this one issue. It's really burdening me. And I found myself internally really battling with that because I don't know who I'm arguing with. Am I gonna argue with God over it? Am I gonna argue with Leslie and say, you're wrong. God wants me to sleep right now. It's so unspiritual, I knew it. I I knew what God wanted me to do, but ah, I really wanna sleep. There's my pillow, I could even see it right there. It was calling to me. It's like it just, it needs a friend. And so I remember I was so tired, and I, one of the, I mean, you'll see me pacing whenever I pray, and I'm not going to say it started then, but it could have, okay? I don't remember when the pacing started, but I would move around lest I fall asleep. There's no worse position to be praying in in the middle of the night when you're tired than on your knees with your head planted in your bed, okay? I've, I've fallen asleep many a time uh, that way. I remember this one season of my life, I, I got up at the watches of the night. And I, you know, it was like, I don't know, one at three and, and five in the morning, I would get up and I would pray. And I, it was so pathetic. I would get up, kneel down on the floor, put my head down on my, and on my uh, bed and fall asleep. <laughs> that was what I was doing. It was not effective. And so I learned that walking really helped me, okay? And, but this night when I was praying, I was like blacking out. I was like, oh, And Leslie was so burdened, and I was like, God, give me this burden. I I know it's significant. I need to carry this tonight. I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but right now I'm empty. And I remember just putting one foot in front of the next and saying, God, I'm leaning on you. I don't have it. I need you to give it to me. And it's not an exaggeration, like three hours later, I was like on fire praying. And so it's like you say, what was the difference? Usually, Eric would have gone to bed. What was the difference? I said yes to an uncomfortable thing that my body was in complete disagreement with, and I pressed forward. But then even when I pressed forward, my body was still in disagreement, and it looked like it had the upper hand. I was concerned that I was going to fall over and hit my head on the coffee table. I was so exhausted that night. But I kept going. And as I kept going the grace of God began to infuse into me, and suddenly I went from tired to fully alive. And that night was extremely significant in our marriage and in our ministry. And yet it's a night I would have never discovered if I had allowed the body of Eric to rule. And so there's something about this, and I don't want to super-spiritualize praying through the night. There's nothing more spiritual about it than sleep, It's obedience that matters. And God is not against you. I think you should plan on going to sleep at a normal time every night. I think the key is that we are available. And that's what Gethsemane is. Peter, James, and John, would you be available with me tonight to watch? What a privilege. Could you imagine if you were personally invited to Gethsemane? That has to be one of the highest privileges in all of earth's history. And yet these men were not ready for it. And so, one of my cravings is, God, make me ready for such a night if you ask me to watch with you. And so, I've had various moments throughout my spiritual life where I feel like God has awakened me and said, Eric, would you watch with me? And I feel like He has a burden. And it could be someone on the other side of the globe, but He's looking for someone who will carry His burden. God, I want to be such a person. I want to be such a person that you could come to and know that I would be willing to carry a burden for you. See, He has a burden but he's wanting to share it with someone. And oftentimes it's in the dark of the night that those burdens need to be carried, okay? So I'm just giving you those tensions that we naturally have as Christians. We have this ministry, and as we have received mercy, we do not give way to a cake. We do not grow soft. We do not grow tired and weary. For which cause, which is speaking of the glory of God, we faint not. We do not give way to a We do not grow spiritually flabby and soft. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. So marching orders. No a No softness. No sloppiness. Sharpness. You know, if we were a military regiment, this makes a lot more sense. You know, we're like, sir, yes, sir. And, you know, we polish our shoes every morning, make our bed all nice and neat, in some regards, I'm very attracted to that, I, and I've at times in the past wished to make Ellerslie sort of into that. However, I feel like what we would end up with is a form of godliness, and we would lack the oomph behind it. What I'm interested in is the actual oomph that leads to that type of discipline. I would rather risk you not having polished shoes in a made bed, but have a fire in your soul for Jesus Christ, than having a made bed and polished shoes and just doing it while you're here at Ellerslie going, okay, did I do everything you wanted me to? All right, I'm going back to my old life now. I want you to have the real thing. I want you to have the growl, the grr, the stirring in your soul that says, God, I have one life, one go at this thing. This body is not my own. You take it, you use it, you do with it whatever you see fit. I don't care. I'm not going to put any caveats to it, any disclaimers to say, you can't do this, you can't do this. I say, here, take me, use me for your glory. That's when things start getting exciting. But when he begins to move you forward, you're gonna need to know that you need something beyond your own internal muscle, your own internal resolve and grit and determination. You need grace in order to do this. So uh, when I was invited to the Denver Broncos training camp, see, all of you are very impressed. I like sticking that slide up there. See, many of you are looking at me going, wait a minute, you were invited to be a Denver Bronco? Well, in my dream. Okay, I, I, I didn't say that up there, but uh, I always wanted to be a Denver Bronco, okay, and I used to think uh, that, I don't, I don't know if you've ever had this thought, that if someone could just see this one nuance of your life, they would be very impressed. I used to think if the Broncos could see how well I can run and catch, they would invite me to be a wide receiver, okay, but no one's ever going to know that, and so unless I start bragging about it and maybe create some promotional videos for myself... But so there's many dying moments in my life where you know, I had to give up my future hope of being a Denver Bronco, okay? And, uh, and I really wouldn't have succeeded in the Denver Bronco world. But you know, when you're a young kid, you always sort of glamorize your abilities beyond sort of like stretching like saran wrap just a little too far uh, over something. It's like, that saran wrap's not gonna fit. Oh, it will fit, it will fit. <laughs> uh, and that was the way, you know, me looking at my abilities, my capacity so I have a dream. It's the night of when this dream happens is even humorous. So Leslie's out of town. She's in Texas visiting uh, her, her grandparents, and I think she had Hudson, and if Harper was born yet, so it's right in this time, same time as wrestling prayer. So Leslie and I have had this season of praying a minimum of three hours a day. Okay, so we've been so intense. We've, we've prayed through the nights many times, and <clears throat> so Leslie leaves, and I I default to something that is very common for Eric, and that is that I love to get things done. So with Leslie gone, I can get so much done. And so I'm just like working on project, project. I have this huge list. I'm like, I'm feeling so good. I get my lists out, look at them. It's like, I got all that done. And I'm just feeling so good about this. But I'm working late into the night. So usually when I would be praying, I'm working. Okay, but this is a once, you know, we're only doing this like when she's gone, right? And so what's weird is after a couple days of this, I still prayed, I still prayed, but the time I would have been spent praying was being taken for work, but it was just, it was special occasion, okay? I, I mean, I really need to get some stuff done. And so what I found is that I immediately began to grow soft. And I remember this one night, I was so tired, it was around you know, midnight, and I had just gotten done with a ton of good work that day. And I come into the bedroom, and my pillow was calling to me. And I was like, oh, and it was. It was the suction feeling into my brain. Like, so, Oh, oh, no, my, my brain is being sucked out, and I'm being sucked into the pillow. I'm gone. And right at that time, I have the thought, God, I'm glad you're not calling me to watch with you tonight. Okay, now, the subtleties of our spiritual life work, okay? I actually feel in that moment that God says, Eric, would you watch with me? And I thought that was one of the rudest, <laughs> most inconsiderate requests I had ever heard in my life. Okay? God, that's not even funny. That's not funny because I'm already, I'm already like falling asleep here. And I refused him. And I, it's just a horrible thought. I mean, it's a horrible statement that I actually said no and went to sleep. Actually, I, it was a little more subtle than that is that I acted like it wasn't God and that that was probably the devil trying to mess with me. Okay, that's how I played it in my head so I could justify going to sleep. But I denied it, and I mean, it was, it was too far gone. You can't, you can't ask a guy that's half asleep to wake back up at midnight and to actually have a good prayer time. I mean, right? I mean, all of you are with me in this. And so that night, I have a dream. <laughs> God has just had such a great sense of humor with me. So I have a dream that night. Mike Shanahan, who is the Denver Broncos coach, And I had a high regard for Mike Shanahan. I just thought if Mike Shanahan could see the skill that Eric Lutie has, I mean, he would be very impressed. Now, in this season, I I had been doing a ton of spiritual exercise, but my physical exercise hadn't been what it used to be, okay? And so I wasn't in as good a shape, and I I was aware of that, but I was spiritually very sharp until the last few days. And uh, so in this dream, Mike Shanahan calls me up, and says, Eric, uh, we heard word that uh, you could actually be a good fit for our team, and was wondering, could you come out for some tryouts? And I remember thinking, even as I'm talking, I'm like, oh, okay, Uh, and he was telling me where to come, when, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm not ready for this. At least give me a month or two warning so I could get in shape, because I'm not in shape. I'm like out of shape right at this exact moment, and so I end up at uh, Denver Broncos training camp, and they're running me through all these drills. And in the dream, I can hardly breathe. I can hardly function. He's looking over going, oh, who, who invited this guy? I mean, who, who recommended him? I was an absolute flop. In the very moment, I finally get the opportunity to be a Denver Bronco. I finally get the opportunity to show Mike Shanahan that I'm the guy for the job, and I am absolutely pathetic. I mean, we're doing the The uh, tire drill, and I'm like tripping over him. I'm like, (gasps) and what I want to say is, you should have given me a few months' warning. Come on, you can't just ask someone to just show up for Broncos training camp the day of. What do you expect? You know, so I'm just mad. I wake up in the morning and I am mad. (laughs) You ever had a dream that just sort of goes with you when you wake up? And I'm, you know, usually I just, I know it's a dream. And I knew this was a dream, but I was. I had dreamed of being at a Broncos training camp my entire life. Now I finally get the opportunity, but they didn't give me any warning. They just call on me, and suddenly I'm supposed to show up and be in shape. That is totally unrealistic. So I'm mad. I'm brushing my teeth in the morning. I'm like, God, oh, can you at least give me a few months to prepare? So I'm brushing my teeth. I'm just upset with it. And in God's very special way, He shows me something. Eric, I know what I built you for. And last night I had something very special for you. But you were not ready. You were not fit for the call. I mean, it was like a very startling reality that this is actually something that he lays out in his scripture very clearly. That when the bridegroom returns, he wants to do something very, very special for his bride. And yet his bride needs to be ready. And I tell you what, it was such a clear rebuke to my soul of that I could be sharp, I could be sharp, I could have oil in my lamp, I could have oil in my lamp, and then I could dump the oil out and say, you know, look, I'll pick up some oil tomorrow. But the readiness of the bride is of the utmost importance. I'm all mad at Mike Shanahan because he didn't give me enough preparation time. Come on, that's unfair. That's unfair. It's not in his job description that he needs to give me preparation time. It's in my job description, if I want to be a Denver Bronco, that I have to be ready and in shape and waiting for the call. And as a Christian, there's a call that's going to come. And that call comes in different forms. We could call the big capital C call when Jesus comes in the clouds to return for us. Yeah, that's, that'll be the capital C call, the phone call. And he's like, hey, I'm coming for you. You ready? But then there's all sorts of smaller calls along the way. There's the moments, even tonight, where God's saying, hey, could you go over and speak something encouraging to that person? But God, I am so tired, I can hardly keep my eyes open right now. You see, being ready for Jesus Christ, this whole idea of tirelessness is so foreign to us because we're so used to just giving way to what the body wants instead of saying, you know what? I'm not gonna be ruled by the body, I'm gonna be ruled by the Holy Spirit the 10 virgins. So without going into the story, I think you guys know it well enough to get my point. There are 10 virgins and five, they all have lamps. They all have the capacity to receive oil, but five do not have the oil and five do. And the five that do not are left out of the wedding feast. I mean, it's, a, it's actually an extremely sad story and I don't even like getting close to it. And so when I found this softness beginning to come into my spiritual life and my unreadiness to being exposed, that my God would literally come for me in the night and he would say, Eric, would you like to spend time with your bridegroom? And I'm like, God, no. <laughs> okay, that's, that's missing something, guys. The priority of my soul is off when I choose sleep over my God. Would you agree with that? Even though every single one of you, even as I'm sharing this message, feel very tired. You're like, oh, I don't, we don't like to be touched in these ways, but the key for each of us is to crave that sharpness of soul. It's like, God, what do you need to do to sharpen me? Okay, my answer is yes and amen to that. Please do that work in me. So for Leslie and I, our term for this over the years has been no downtime. Now, at first, this sounds depressing because you are like downtime. Without downtime, you can't function. You see, Don't listen to your human body as it mumbles about this. Your old man has all sorts of commentary on what I'm talking about. I recognize that, but your old man is dead, crucified, right? Let's listen to the spiritual man. The spiritual man says, always ready, always on your game, always sharp. You take every thought captive. You rejoice in all things. You give thanks in all things. These are constancy points. You pray without ceasing. You are always on your game. God gives you rest. He does. God makes you lie down in green pastures. He restores your soul. That isn't your job. Your job is to be available to him. A disciplined life involves going to bed at a certain time and waking up at a certain time and trusting that God will give and maximize those hours of sleep to the fullest extent. But there's going to be certain things that are beyond just natural because we could sleep naturally, we could exercise naturally, we could eat gluten-free, dairy-free, and sugar free and still not be fit for the job description God has given us. Those things have a role, and I'm not going to diminish them. But they have a role, but it isn't the primary way that you're going to accomplish your impossible task. I give you that list in 2 Corinthians of what Paul went through, and every one of us is fading fast. It's like, okay, who's ready? All right, let's try, that. Let's try it. 39 stripes once for every one of us in here. We'll see who can last through that. I mean, most of us are fading already in this marathon. But five times? And that's just the first thing in the list? At the very end, it says, oh, in addition to all these external things, I have the care for all of the churches. You try caring for one church, it will crush most men on earth. One church. You try all the churches. Okay, this is what Paul is caring. He's like, guys, do you want to be a spiritual athlete? Take this seriously. Take the small mechanics and movements of your soul seriously and allow God to refine them and hone them. So I'll whisper this a lot to myself, no downtime. And when I'm like craving to just sort of zone out for a while, no downtime. And there have been moments in my life when this has been so critical. I remember one time I got this at a phone call and it was just devastating type of news, something I'd been praying about for seven months. And then boom, it looked and it appeared like, Everything had gone south on it. And it was a very, very challenging moment. And I remember standing in the kitchen, I I sort of braced myself against the counter. I was like, God, I trust you. God, I believe you. But there was a fog that was attempting to overcome me. And uh, I remember uh, Hudson was just a little teeny guy. And he came up and he was looking for some attention, you know, doing one of those little kid things, like, and. so so i look down i sort of pat him on the head (laughs) sort of like hey buddy you know because hey i was in the midst of a battle i'm trying to get my head screwed on straight and i remember even whispering to myself "No no downtime no downtime no downtime it's that concept of continuing to whistle like we talked about yesterday okay all right look god you're on the throne I'm going to turn outward. I'm not going to turn inward. I'm going to turn outward. So there's my little son. I'm like, hey, bud, how you doing? What's going on? What do you have there? Oh, your little turtle? Oh, isn't that? And then someone, the doorbell rings, and someone is there that is in desperate need of encouragement. Right then. And it's interesting, the timing, because right as I basically say, God, I'm turning outward. I'm not going to turn inward. I'm going to trust you with this. Immediately, there's a need, and it's a high-end's need. And what was needed was a yes from me to say, okay, God, you pour grace through me to minister in this situation, but in the natural side, you can't expect a man to be hit with that type of news and then to actually minister after that. You can't ask of me that, God. No, yes, he can. Because when you think about yourself, the downtime is coming down from the ministry. You never lose that connectedness with Jesus Christ. You don't unplug from him for a few hours okay God I need to come down for a while there's no me time it's not like you plug into the old man for a little bit the flesh and say oh yeah here let's let's do this that will satisfy me that won't satisfy you so in the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy at his right hand are pleasures forevermore what's your position you're at his right hand where there are pleasures forevermore. When you are willing to turn away from that which entices the world and you plug into God, he will satisfy your soul. He will give you something that is so far beyond what you realize right now, but it comes in and through the means of diminishing the natural man and allowing the spiritual man to grow. All right, boy, guys, I waxed long uh, this morning. Father, I just ask that you would do this work in us, that you would sharpen us for the battle, that you would train us, Lord Jesus, train our hands for battle. Lord, I ask that our souls would be sharpened and that we would be just alerted afresh today to the way that you work and the way that you're desiring to move forward in our souls. Lord, bless us in this prayer time. It's in the precious name we pray, amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon, live and in person. Thanks for listening.